This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. I think we need to remember that if we want to help someone and health is a part of that conversation, remembering that all bodies are good bodies. Our bodies change for all kinds of reasons, and we have no idea what this person in front of us is going through. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness-related issues. On today's show, we're going to learn what it takes to build an apartment building in Toronto, part two. Then we're also going to discuss body image and weight loss. And lastly, cooking healthy for one. But first, a little bit of business. Support for today's show comes from the Benvenuto Group. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set a standard for informed residents. I'd like to welcome our first guest, Mitchell Abrahams. He's the principal of the Benvenuto Group. He's a real estate professional with over 25 years of commercial and multifamily residential real estate experience. He's converted apartments into condominiums and developed condominium and apartment projects. Welcome back to The Tonic. Glad to be here. So last time around, we were talking about what it takes to build an apartment in Toronto. And I think we got to the point where... You know, you talked about land acquisition and dealing with the zoning. Let's let's pick up from there because there's a lot more pieces to the puzzle, right? I uh, it scares me uh, when we talk about the pieces to the puzzle because your timing is good. You know, I recently got an approval for a purpose-built apartment building in downtown Toronto. Thank what? you. I'm not sure that that's the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not congratulations? It's I, interesting because every time you think that you're at a point where you, you should be congratulated, then you worry about the next level of uh, challenges that you face to get something up and running. So you, we're literally in the same timeline now. So now you've gotten your approvals. So let's let's take this project as an example, which is in the Young Eglinton area. So now you have to start construction and all the planning and everything. So what do you do? What right. happens? So, so first of all, when you get a building approved, it's not really in its exact final form. Right. Because it's changing all the time as you negotiate and go back and forth with the various stakeholders to get agreement over what the built form of a building is going to be. And every time you change the shape of a building or the number of stories or whatever, that impacts its way through how many apartments are there. You know, what's the lobby look like? So you can't really design a final building until you have your approvals. Now you start jumping into, okay, now we better get serious because we're going to build this thing. How do we make it exactly something that responds to its market in a smart way? So are there really material changes at this point? So you have your approval now. What sort of things do you have to contemplate? I guess there's engineering and soil reports and landscaping, et cetera. First of all, there's detailed design, right? So imagine you want to build a new house. 
you look through all the magazines with your spouse and you say, we'd really like something that looks like this. But until you sit down, even when you have a sketch to go to Committee of Adjustment on your house, you have a rough idea, but then you need to sit down with your designer and your contractor and can I afford to do this? And uh, it's very similar in building an apartment building. Now you know how many apartments, how tall. Now you say, okay, we want to build something, number one, that's energy efficient. Well, let's look at it. Energy efficiency has a bunch of pieces to it. The building envelope, the exterior walls, how energy efficient are those going to be? Uh, The windows themselves, how energy efficient is that? Once I go through that whole design, what does that mean to the building systems? So there's that whole mechanical, electrical, and structural design that you need to refine. Then there's, you need to make sure that the building works. So there's a whole site plan approval process with the city, which is far less contentious than a a rezoning, but need to respond to requests from the various departments in the city. What does wastewater look like? How does it tie into city servicing? What is your parking layout? How are are you going to get your garbage trucks and you're moving in and out and you need to get all that stuff detailed? So there's a, a next layer of design that happens. On top of that, the fun stuff starts. What's the fun stuff? What's the fitness room going to look like? What's the lobby going to look like? Uh, Should we have a business center or should we have a party room? Should we have a pool on the roof? Should the fitness be upstairs or should it be on a lower level? The kind of stuff that, you you know, to me, that's a fun part of designing a building because you start thinking like a resident and you start thinking of exactly who your residents are going to be and what rent levels you're expecting from this particular building. And you start designing something that, for me, is a reflection of your passion to create a really great place for people to live. And you also have to look forward because, you know, you have to think of lifestyle, not people as they exist now, but, you know, this is a property that you intend to own and manage going forward. So you have to look ahead to 10, 15 years and think about how people are going to live in the city. Correct. So you do market surveys and you you look at demographics and you try to figure out who's the potential tenant now and who are the residents in the future. And most of the time, you're pretty accurate, but you never know. You know, I've looked at buildings in Chicago in the last little while because they've been building a lot of apartments since the real estate bust in 2008. They've built much more in the way of apartment buildings than condos. So you go and you see three-bedroom apartments that you think would be for families. And then you walk in and it's three young women in their first jobs living together who've chosen to say, you know what, we come and go at interesting hours and we'd rather share the cooking and uh, and hang out in the living space. Uh, so here's a building that you think was designed for families and all of a sudden it's uh, got an interesting co-sharing angle to it and it gets you thinking, well, am I thinking the right way even when I'm building a particular suite? So how do I build something that works and it's flexible as well. Right. And and it's flexible in a different level, too, because at this point, when you're making all these changes, I presume there's budgetary changes and, you, and you know, there's you can't move forward until all the plans are in place and approved, which means there's a time gap, which means there's a risk element to what you're doing, too, because the longer you spend on this stage, the more expensive it becomes, I, I would presume. Correct. You want to get moving. At the same time, you want to get it right because you're building something for the long term. Right. So and all of these things are cost benefits. You spend money in one place. As an example, I've got this idea that when you're building a new apartment building, you should try to take away all the things that are going to bug you and bug people in the long term. Like what? So you go to a hotel and you know I know lots of things bug you. Lots of things bug me. But an example, (laughs) the worst thing in the world is to get a call and to say someone had a leak in their bathroom and it leaked down 15 stories below and everybody's ceiling got uh, needs to be redone in a building. Right. Just one of the realities of uh, high-rise living. Well, when you go to a hotel in Europe and you look under the bathroom vanity, there's an extra drain in the floor. And when someone overflows the bathtub, it goes down a drain. Do you do that or do you not do it? It has a cost. 
but at the same time, it's going to save you a headache. But it's the type of cost that somebody who's renting wouldn't even appreciate, right? Correct. It, it's You're like, not going to get paid for it. Exactly. It's like when you do a renovation, a lot of the heavy lifting goes into the infrastructure of, you know, the copper piping or plastic piping Correct. and the drain work or the roof, which is completely unsexy. Exactly right. And there are hundreds of those decisions to make, and each of those has a cost and benefit. And somehow you have to, I guess the technical term is value engineer something that makes sense and is not overly expensive, but is well-performing for the long term. So going forward, what's for you now that you're at this stage, Mm -hmm. I know you're looking forward to a lot of it. What aspect other than the design are you looking forward to the most? And what's the scariest part going forward for you with this project in particular? I think people underestimate the the number of risks that, that take place when you're building an apartment building. You know, everyone looks at it and says, it's easy. People have done hundreds of them in the city in the last little while, and uh, it's got to be a model that works, right? But we've talked about the rezoning and how long it takes and how risky it is and the challenges you have dealing with different parties. But, you know, when you start from the beginning, right, first of all, you need to buy the land. Right. Yeah. There's no parking lots left in the uh, in the heart of Toronto. Right. So often it means buying up a number of pieces, and you, you're dealing with different people there. So you've got to make that happen, and you got to make it happen in a in a way you can't force people to sell their home. Right. So you've got to be sensitive to picking the right place, and there's no challenges. Then you go through a rezoning, so you're already exhausted from uh, having figured it out. Then people don't realize that there's an interest rate risk. You're building a building and you don't know three years forwards, what's construction financing going to cost you? And then when you're finished, what are mortgage costs going to be? That has a direct impact on the financial viability of the project. And you've got to sort of look forwards and say, does this make sense? Well, best of luck with this project. I can't wait to see how it turns out because your projects are beautiful. Thank you. When we have you back next month, we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about how do we get into this mess where we don't have enough uh, rental units in Toronto. Great. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to discuss weight loss and body image on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Purica. Purica wants you to turn its protein into your power. A blend of the finest vegan protein and the antioxidant powerhouse that is the pure chaga mushrooms. Purica Power features ingredients and enzymes designed to optimize digestion and absorption. Unlike many protein powders, Purica Power tastes great with water and mixes easily. It's available in chocolate, vanilla, and natural unflavored. From the Purica family to yours, Purica Power is a new way to make the most of every day. It's all part of the Purica commitment to making a positive difference in the lifestyle of its customers. Ask your favorite health food store for Purica Power vegan protein or visit Purica.com. Purica, nature, science, you. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of The Tonic, I'm also the host of OMTO, Toronto's best free outdoor yoga festival. Imagine taking as many as nine free yoga classes in the beautiful distillery district with hundreds of people just like you. All you need to do is bring your yoga mat and your good intentions. Please join us at the distillery district on Sunday, June 24th. For more information, please visit omto.ca. See you there. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Claire LaGrayley, is a registered holistic nutritionist who's on a mission to empower people to food freedom. She graduated from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and runs her private practice in Toronto and online. Claire compassionately helps her clients rediscover their relationship with food. Her guiding principle is to start where you are. 
Claire wrote all about body image in the May issue of Tonic Magazine. Welcome back to the Tonic, Claire. Thank you, Jamie. So body image. What inspired you to write this article on body-based praise? Mm -hmm. Well, this article or a form of it has definitely been brewing for quite a long time. I've worked in a lot of different settings where I've overheard many conversations that involved this type of praise, so body-centric praise. And every time I hear it, I've heard it, I get angry inside. and Give us an example yeah. of what you mean by oh, that. Okay, so very commonly um, someone will connect with someone, typically if they haven't seen them for a period of time, and they'll say, oh my gosh, so great to see you. You look so great. Have you lost weight? And it just sort of falls out of people's mouths. And I really do think that the people who are dishing out these comments don't mean any harm. But what I know from my experience, myself, and along with many, many clients, is that these seemingly innocuous comments about other people's bodies can really be very, very problematic. And so what I hope to do is to educate people on what can happen when when we connect in this way. So when I read your article, I, you know, I, I read it as I'm editing for the magazine, I'm thinking to myself, this is really strange for me because I actually love it when people come up to me and say, oh, you look like you've lost weight. You look great because, you know, I do carry extra weight and often I take it off and I like it when people recognize it. And it seemed alien to me that it would be troubling for somebody. I believe that it's true. Like I don't, I don't dispute what you're saying, but that's not me. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people who give those compliments wouldn't dream that they're saying anything negative at all. So I think this is interesting that we're discussing it. What are the problems that come with complimenting somebody? So so how does it manifest itself? Right. So there are a number of reasons that it can become problematic. And of course, I write about it in, in length right. in, the, in the article. But I would say I'll speak to a few of the important pieces here. And one of them is when you compliment someone on a smaller body, what you're doing in essence is you're saying, okay, your smaller body is better. So what that means is that you're also saying that their bigger body is bad. And we know that for most people, you are an exception, right? But for most people, intentional weight loss isn't sustainable. And so when this person, let's say they do regain the weight and they have these compliments sort of circling in their mind of, well, my body now is bad that really can set them up for disordered eating, a very different relationship with their body. And so I think we need to remember that if if we want to help someone and health is a part of that conversation, that remembering that all bodies are good bodies. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess what you're saying is the implicit comment is bigger is better. So when that person gets back to being big, which yeah. for a lot of people, that's what happens. Exactly. Uh, the yo-yo it feels that much worse because all they can remember is the compliments they got when they were small. Oh my gosh, exactly. You got it exactly. And I have heard that story so many times in my office where they do regain the weight and then all they think about now is, well, I was told from multiple different people that my bigger body was bad. And so at any cost, you try and get back to that smaller body. Another point that I think is really important to remember is that 
our bodies change for all kinds of reasons, and we have no idea what this person in front of us is going through. So we can lose weight from illness, trauma, grief. You could also be unknowingly reinforcing someone's unhealthy behaviors. And so all of that to say is that we want to remember that a smaller body does not equate health. You know that I lost uh, 52 pounds about 10 years ago, and I came upon a lawyer who I used to work with. Uh, He was actually my mentor when I first started, and he hadn't seen me in years. And his reaction was, oh, do you have cancer? Oh, wow. Uh, Which he actually articulated, and I was staggered. I mean, I thought I looked great. And what immediately came to him was I was unhealthy, which really threw me for a loop. So I I, I guess I'm starting to see where, where you're coming from. How do you propose that we do better with our compliments? So, so what could yeah. that gentleman have done differently? Yeah, I think collectively we can do better. I think when we connect with friends, with family members, with clients, patients who we haven't seen in a while, we need to focus on the attributes of people that are actually worth celebrating because our bodies are our least interesting things about us. We have so much more that we yeah. that we contribute on this planet. And so to highlight that, you know, practice swapping, have you lost weight to how have you been? Right. And seeing what unfolds from there. Saying, you know, I've really missed you. It's so fun to be around you. Or I haven't seen you in a while. You're such a hard worker. You know, how is your career going? Or, you know, I love your hat. (laughs) You know, these things are your fashion sense. Things that You know, for some people, when you see them, (laughs) it can be hard to drum up that, you know, you're fun to be around. Or, you know, it's awesome to be with you. Some people, it's easier. Some people, it's harder, right? And I completely agree. And I think it's a practice because given our culture, that's a default. And now, hopefully, with some more education around these type of comments, people will prioritize this practice of coming up with some better ways of connecting with each other. Right. And and you'll agree with me, do you have cancer is the wrong way to go, right? It's not a great opener. It is not it's a great pretty, opener. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. Well, thank you for coming in today. Thanks so much for having me. We'll hear back from you again next month. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take this opportunity to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Purely Natural. They're fourth generation master herbalists. It's a family owned Canadian company that's been in business for over 100 years. They've been working with my company, Tonic Magazine, for over 10 years, and its principal, Joel Thuna, has been writing our fantastic preventative medicine column for over seven years. They're one of the original sponsors for the OMTO Yoga Festival. The company is certified GMP, kosher, and organic. For more information about Purely Natural, please visit their website, purelynatural.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. 
My next guest, Carolyn Tanner Cullen, is owner and founder of Delicious Dish Cooking School in Toronto. She's been teaching cooking classes for 17 years. She has a science background, which edifies her interest in health and fueling the body with foods that will optimize health. Carolyn teaches people how to meal plan, eat healthy, cook with natural whole foods, and organize their kitchen. She teaches new cooks, seasoned cooks, university students who are living on their own for the first time, nannies, housekeepers, and everything in between. For more information about Carolyn, please visit deliciousdish.ca. Welcome to The Tonic. Thank you so much, Jamie. We recently bumped into each other while food shopping for our respective families, and that led to a conversation about healthy cooking, and in particular, healthy cooking for one, which for students and singles and those living on their own is, is always a challenge, right? Absolutely. So is it possible to cook healthy for one? Definitely it's possible, Jamie. I think often cooking for one is healthy cooking for one is easier than healthy cooking for a family of four or five because you're often navigating between the likes and dislikes of everybody in the family and that's quite difficult. When you're just cooking for yourself, all you have to worry about is yourself and what you like and what you don't like. That's true. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. Uh, but there must be some aspects of cooking for one that are difficult. What would be the hardest part? Yeah, I think that healthy cooking for one is difficult in the sense that you don't want to have so much leftovers. And, you know, cooking for one really means that you need to think about it, prep ahead of time, actually do the cooking, and then not have so much in your fridge or freezer or pantry that you want to make sure that you're going to be able to use what you've made. Yeah, because a lot of the ingredients are going to be fresh, which means they naturally have a shelf life or usability before the taste and the nutrition sort of fades, right? Absolutely, for sure. But we have lots of good tips and tricks. Okay, so let's talk about cooking versus pre-made and ordering in. Where do you stand on that? You know, we all like to order in every once in a while, but it's always better to cook. I mean, you'd really be surprised what goes into the food that you buy. Let's say, for instance, you're buying a rotisserie for chicken from somewhere that you really like, like a really reputable place. Right. You'd be surprised the amount of sodium, unwanted fats, and unnatural ingredients, even if they say natural flavors, that actually go into this rotisserie chicken. Right. So I always tell my clients, buy a whole chicken, season it up with a little of olive oil, garlic powder, paprika, salt, pepper, roast it, 400 degrees for about an hour, and then you've got a gorgeous chicken. You tear off the meat. You could store it in your fridge for the week. You could even freeze parts of it in baggies or in batches, and then you have pre-made, order-in type style chicken all week long. Yeah, and I understand the allure of the store-bought chicken because, you know, it's so inexpensive, right? Like when you're doing the mental math of buying the chicken and and doing the work versus, you know, spending eight, nine, ten dollars for something you might get two or three meals out of. For sure. Yeah, but I understand what you're saying. And that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about, you, you, you referenced it before, batch cooking, right? Yes. So what would be your number one tip for batch cooking? Okay, well, first of all, I want to say that people often think that batch cooking is only good for a large family. I actually think it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have a great plan. You've meal planned your meals for the week. You've organized your grocery list. You have a plan and you make batches of food. For instance, your favorite old family meatloaf recipe, really healthy. You could healthy it up a little bit. And then instead of making it in a big meatloaf tin, you make it in smaller tins. Muffins. Muffins are great. And then you portion it out like four to six ounces each portion. And then you freeze it uncooked in individual portion so that when you're ready to go and cook, you also don't have waste. It's in your freezer. All you have to do is buy 
salad ingredients or a kale or something like that, and you have a full meal. Mm-hmm. So if you're cooking for one, some people are anxious because they feel like you know they don't have what they need in order to sort of make the food. Um, and that's where the pantry comes in, those staples that you, you need to have in order to execute you know, whatever it is you're trying to cook. So what are your recommendations in that regard? Okay. Well, pantry helpers or pantry staples are my bread and butter. I love that. And this is what I always tell my Are bread and butter in there? Bread and butter are not in there. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So what I tell my clients is that you set yourself up with a few good spice rubs. Go and buy a spice rub from a grocery store. That's not necessarily a good idea. Oftentimes, the first ingredient in a spice rub is sugar and then table salt, which is really not great for us either. So I have a bunch of recipes, and feel free to look on my website, for pantry staple spice rubs, one for chicken, one for fish, a couple for different vegetables. So all you have to do is come home with your protein that day, rub a little bit of olive oil, buy your four to six ounce piece of fish or chicken, and there you have dinner. So that's always amazing. Pantry staples could also be a salad dressing. You can make a salad dressing on a Sunday that'll last you all the way till the following Sunday. And there could be just four or five ingredients that are completely natural that are your ingredients. Sure. So if you set yourself up for success for the week, then you will have success and you'll have a healthy week ahead of you. Yeah. I mean, the stuff that we keep going back to again and again, which helps, obviously, you know, like uh, beans are always helpful if you're, if you're cooking healthy, uh, you know, canned beans, dried beans. Uh, we have chicken stock with low sodium available uh, because, you know, you can jazz up rice or pasta instead of cooking it in water just by cooking it in, in a stock. And For I, I, sure. I mean, quinoa cooked in stock tastes really good. Quinoa, if you like quinoa. If you like quinoa. <laughs> but most people are starting to really like that. Well, not this person, but I hear <laughs> you. I, I know it's healthy and yes. I know I should like it. For sure. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't go there. Um, so budgeting for healthy eating... Uh, what's the biggest bang for the buck? Before I tell you what the biggest bang for the buck is, I always tell my clients who are cooking for one or even two that it's a great idea to get a little meal prep group together, like a friend group together. So if you're cooking for one, maybe you have one or two friends where you go grocery shopping together Mm -hmm. and you bring home the groceries, you plan it out so that you're making one thing, your friend is making another thing, your other friend is making the third thing, mm-hmm. and then you're you're splitting the cost, but you're really only buying two or three or four ingredients, and then you're kind of batch cooking, and then you're exchanging it, kind of like a Christmas cookie exchange. Yeah, it's almost like a potluck yes. mix and match right. type of thing. Right, and that's a great way to budget. The other thing I was thinking, that if you think about it, a kale, a head of kale could be 2 or $3 versus a head of romaine could be also 2 or $3, but the kale will last you all week long. So if you choose ingredients that have a longer shelf life, even vegetables, that would be a great way to budget your, your green grocery bill. Well, thank you for coming in today. Uh, we're going to be sure to have you back next month. Great. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca. For articles written by Claire Legrelli, please be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the health and wellness issues important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.